I see new life. I see new tides. Carry on through the years. Transform through the tears. Welcome back to Tears, Tides, and Transformation, a podcast about healing. I am Bridget Flaherty. And I am Kiana Daniels. And today we are going to be talking to Vicki Jambrone, who was diagnosed with cancer three times before she was 36. My name is Vicki Jambrone. It's hard to describe yourself to somebody else, but I would say that I am a curious connector. I am somebody who spends a lot of time getting to know people and then trying to figure out what connections I can make. Something I've done my whole life, but it's also part of my business. I just turned 60, which is weird and wonderful all at the same time. And probably, I think my greatest job right now, other than I own a company and uh, that's a lot of work, but I have two incredible grandkids, so I always tell people that. When I turned 18, I was the first person in my family to go to college, went to college, did all the things that you're supposed to do at college, drank a lot, smoked a lot of pot, that kind of stuff, and didn't feel well. And when I went home for Thanksgiving, discovered that I had cancer, not something I thought about ever happening to me. I don't think most 18-year-olds do. Went through a lot of treatment, just kept pressing forward and something that I've termed pushing pushing forward and never taking a moment to heal. And I was diagnosed with cancer three times before I was 36. And I just felt like life was in short supply, that my years weren't going to be as long as everybody else's. And I just never took a minute to breathe or heal from all of that, the physical part of it or the emotional part of it. And it really does catch up with you after a bit of time. And so for the last year, I've really been exploring that word healing. And what does it mean? And, you know, with a lot of therapy, you figure out that sometimes you've got to feel it in order to heal it. And so that's really what I think about when I think about healing is allowing yourself to feel it because one way or another is going to come out. You can prolong it or you can feel it. And so I just really have focused on that. Healing for me is being open to feel all the feelings, and then spending some time in it and reflecting in it, and then sharing it, just like learning anything else. So that's what it means to me. And, um, you know, I just spent so many years pushing through the physical and the emotional that it caught up with me in a lot of different ways, stress and it came out, whether I thought it was or not. I thought I was really good at covering up all of it. And what I learned was I wasn't really. And I was taking it out on other people and myself. And so I think they're incredibly connected. I can tell you that I've had physical things happen to me that are directly related to the emotional and spiritual trauma and stress. And so when I took some time to really focus on that, let it all out, I was in that generation where you didn't let anybody see you cry. You were supposed to tough it out. And listen, I'm a great white knuckler. I can white knuckle my way to success. But in the end, 
your spirit suffers so much that I became this person who only felt two things, frustration and anger. I had really lost that ability to feel joy and happiness and love to the degree that you really crave it and need it. And so that's when I thought, whoa, wait a minute. When was the last time I was really happy? You know, you're not happy all the time, but I really wanted to search for some contentment. And to me, that was really what healing was all about. And I find that interesting because I think as women, we are often encouraged to push, to just get through whatever it is that we're facing. And I felt that that's something definitely that I've done in life. And I think society encourages us to do that. I agree. And I can subscribe to that. Some of those burdens of just going, going, going throughout life, not ever really taking those moments to stop, pause, and reflect, and to really just, like, breathe. That's actually one of my words for this year, is breathe. The other thing that I thought was interesting about the only feeling anger and frustration, no joy and happiness, is that when we suppress our quote-unquote bad emotions— We also suppress the quote-unquote good emotions. And so by not wanting to cry or by not wanting to address whatever we consider bad emotions, we actually suppress all of our emotions. This is something that definitely before I started my healing journey, I experienced. It was like a numbness. I didn't feel sad, but I also didn't feel happy. I just was almost like floating or on autopilot through life. Yeah, just existing. Yeah. I think it's something that I've experienced as well. And um, if most women in our families and in society, we never see that model, it's very difficult for us to learn how to do it. And it is a process and it's very challenging. But once we get there, oh my gosh, right? It feels amazing. So I understand like where she's coming from. So she talked about how She didn't think she would reach 60, and she just recently reached 60. And so when she was approaching that major milestone was when she really looked at her life and realized that she wanted better relationships with other people and better relationships with herself. You know, I never thought I'd live to be 60. All the doctors told me I would be dead before I was 50. And so every year you have that birthday and you just take a really deep breath and you think, I've cheated it one more year, so it's going to come this year. It was a terrible way to live in fear. And I got to 58, 59, and I thought, holy crap, you know, (laughs) I'm going to be 60. And I looked around, and I realized that I had spent so much time afraid and so much time angry about not having enough time that I had wasted a lot. And so that really was the point for me. I just looked around, and the people that I loved most, I'd spent 20 years pushing. And that's not fun for anybody. And so I didn't have the relationships I wanted with people, and I didn't have the relationship with myself that I wanted. And so that was really the moment when you've had cancer three times and been through the trauma that I've been through in my life. You know, everybody recommends therapy, and I'd gone a few times. And honestly, one time I went to a therapist and I told her my life story and she cried. And I was like, Jesus. I'm like, okay, look, lady, you're supposed to be helping me heal. I just thought, this is ridiculous. So I didn't go back, but I just decided I was going to give it another try. And 
I just never thought I was going to be somebody that went to therapy. Again, I was going to put my big girl pants on and get over it and move on and grit my teeth right through it. I'm really good at that. I hate therapy. I will just tell you that. I am so grateful for the process. <laughs> I think that's honest, yes. right? Therapy? It's hard. It's hard. <laughs> it's not fun at all. Oh, God. Yes. Yeah, it can be really like, what the hell? I thought we were over this. Or really, we got to go there? And we talked about how therapy is not you go sit with a counselor for an hour. It's a thing that, yes, you go sit with a counselor for an hour, and then that brings up all kinds of stuff you got to go home and work on. It is the check-in point for all the work you're doing outside of therapy. So, yeah, I thought that was funny, the I hate therapy, because we do talk about how wonderful therapy is, but the truth is it's not easy. No, it's not. No, it's like a catch-22, right? It's like, I think for me, and I've talked to other people, we're like, oh my gosh, yes, therapy. I have that today because we know that we can release and we can like talk through and process things with a, with a professional. But in it, it's just like boo-hoo, crying and everything else, a little bit of anger. You have all the emotions. It's like a tornado of emotions. And, you know, I don't know what it's like for you or anybody else, but like my therapist just used to sit there and listen. I mean, like, you know, and I guess that's, how you know they're doing their job, right? Because they prompt you, they ask a question, and you just like word vomit on them. And you're like counseling yourself to an extent because you're processing, you're having those conversations. So it's definitely a catch-22. You have to prepare for it too, I think. So I always had to like prepare, like let's do some breaths, let's get this together because we know that the waterworks are coming. I've had multiple moments with my therapist that I can play like movies in my mind where things came together for me where she said something or did something that changed my perspective. One particular time I was at my therapist and she comes over and pinches my arm really hard. Okay. And I looked at her and I was like, what are you doing? And she said nothing and just kept pinching my arm. And then I said, are you going to stop that? And she said nothing and kept pinching my arm. And so eventually I just pulled my arm away and she says to me exactly stop letting them hurt you oh that's good oh I will never forget it it was so impactful that idea of if someone's hurting you walk away walk away don't subject yourself to that yes wow that was a great exercise exactly she's amazing yeah okay so we also talked about giving the younger version of ourselves what she needs, addressing PTSD by loving our inner child or our inner young adult, um, the idea of reparenting or inner child work, and how powerful that is. That 18-year-old girl who was all alone walked from UD to her radiation and chemotherapy treatments because I just wouldn't give up on my dream to go to college. And, um, you know, I didn't have a lot of support. I didn't have I didn't have the kinds of support that you would hope somebody in that situation would have. But I had to take some time to talk to that girl and let her know she's not by herself, and she doesn't have to fight through life by herself. And that sounds hokey to some people, but it is really, really powerful to be at a point in life where you can talk to that young girl and say, you know, um, fuck them. 
because you can do this and you did do it and you don't have to do it that way anymore. It's going to be okay. And that, there's something real powerful about that. Absolutely. I've actually experienced similar therapies going back and telling the little girl who felt like nobody was there for her that I am there for her. And it's powerful because that version of us still exists within us. And there's transformation in those memories of having those conversations. I agree. Like, it's hard to talk about it because it sounds weird. I'm talking to a version of me. Absolutely. But for me, as a writer, it's been very useful for me to write letters to her and then to read them. You know, it's funny. When you have PTSD, you know, and I never thought that that was something that I related to. I thought it was something that happened to my uncle was in Vietnam, and he clearly has PTSD. And But because of the things that happened to me in childhood and then the cancer diagnosis and other things, your brain starts to shut things off because it's just too painful. And that's why the only emotion I felt was anger and frustration or abject fear because that's what my body would allow you to process. You know, to be able to let go, it's exhausting. I didn't realize how exhausting, but it's exhausting. Letting go of a lot of that is hard because it's what you know. From the time I was five, I've been a fixer. You know, there's a problem, I'm going to fix it. If there's a goal, I'm going to push ahead and get to the goal. And I'm going to keep moving. And to have to stop and sit and feel and process and allow some of that stuff to come out. I wish people, particularly in my generation, who would say, oh, well, I don't, you know, I'm not crazy. I'm not depressed. You know, that's not what it's about. It's really a journey of, for me anyway, a journey of discovery. So many things that I had just put in a box. And I had so many boxes that it was about to fall over and crush me. So you have to be able to look at it as a journey. But I think it takes incredible courage. You know, I don't think there's anything cowardly about therapy or self-discovery. I think it's incredibly brave. Taking the time to address that we didn't receive what we needed at that time in our lives and that we can give that to ourselves now and just how healing that is. I agree 100% with that because I have had to give my inner child what she's needed um, and really have conversations about what my inner child as a child did not receive and being able to give myself permission to like acknowledge that and to like really lean in. At first, I do think that it is a little awkward because to think about yourself that way, but it is very true. Like we have inner children in us, which is why like we have a youthfulness about us that still needs to be fed and nurtured, cared for. And yeah, biologically, <laughs> we're growing up, we're aging, we're adulting and like adulting sucks for real. <laughs> It's like cool because we have money and whatnot, but it's just like so many responsibilities and our inner child is just like, no, we don't want that anymore right now. We just want to be loved on. We want to play. We want to dream big. We want to not subscribe to all of these social norms and standards about 
not truly giving in to like what we truly want. And so like going back to something you said in the beginning about we just as women, we just keep accepting things and experiencing the same thing without ever taking a breath. Like our inner child wants like, please let me breathe. It's too much. It's really essential now. And I think especially on this healing journey, if you don't do it deliberately, (laughs) the inner child will make you do it. And I think there's two parts to that too, right? There's the healing of the things that are younger versions of self-experience. And then once you get past that, there's listening to that inner child, which is what you're saying, and swinging on the swings if she wants to swing on the swings or sitting in the bathtub or whatever that looks like that is that childlike need that all of us have that we often ignore. Absolutely. Because life can be really heavy. And I think that being able to allow our inner child to just be present sometimes, that in and of itself is healing and just like relief from the burdens and hardships and challenges of life. And it's like it gives us that good balance. And so I really hope that more women and more people in general start to like acknowledge that and just not like shut it down because that's what we have the tendency to do, which continues to pile things on us. And so we just keep feeling heavier and heavier. And it's just like, we're almost at a breaking point here. Yes. Another thing that Vicki talked about was the generational understandings of therapy and how as someone who just turned 60, that her generation grew up seeing therapy as something crazy people did and how having the courage to be in therapy at 60 and talking to her friends about it And addressing that stigma really requires a lot of courage. And and I think regardless of age, it is addressing a stigma in our society about mental health. But it's interesting how that really has changed generationally. And as each of us continue to have these conversations, we set up the next generation to be more open about mental wellness. I think we're seeing it more and more. And with my generation, the millennial generation, I think we are kind of leading that charge with like healing and therapy and talking and sharing and just like really emoting. I think we're emoting everywhere (laughs) because I think we just don't have the capacity anymore. We don't literally have the capacity anymore because we're not only dealing with our own traumas and triggers we're dealing with generational traumas and triggers and it feels like we're almost about to like a combustion right like we have to get it out and we have to address it and we have to have resolve and we have to go see somebody to process what it is that we're feeling whether it is our own stuff or somebody else's like our parents or our grandparents or even friends and family society because at this point you know with us in this day and age, we're so much more connected socially via social media and like, you know, digital platforms, yet we're still very disconnected. And I think it's because like we have those generational differences of not sharing and then some people sharing and then that's not kind of like meeting in the middle. So it's like really cool to see that we're leading that charge because I know even for my own mom, she's empowered and encouraged and inspired to like do more of her healing like another layer of it not that she's never done it but it's just really interesting to see so I 100% can understand what Vicky is saying so to piggyback on that another thing that Vicky and I talked about is going through this process as mothers and 
the difficulty when you start this process and realize that you caused woundedness to your children? You know, I think um, the relationship that matters the most to me is the one with my family. And, you know, some people like that you're changing and some people don't. I had to make peace with that. There are people in my family who like the fact that I'm the fixer and want to keep you in that role. That's been stressful. But I think the people like my daughter, who's amazing in every way. I mean, like most mothers and daughters, we had our moments. You know, I just said to her, this is what I'm doing, and here's where I'm at, and I'm going to make a lot of mistakes, but I'm hoping that you'll give me some grace and we'll be able to build a better relationship through this. And I think we are. I mean, you know, look, she's got her own journey she's going through, and at the end of the day, I want to break that cycle in my family of superficial relationships and not talking about things that really happened, and so I'm trying to do that with her, and she's got kids of her own, and so... You know, it's a journey. Yeah, I am also with my family, my children, my siblings, my parents, definitely had an impact. Setting boundaries when boundaries weren't set previously can be shocking. Brought my siblings and I closer together. Definitely had different impacts with different people. And I think that's okay. You know, I've had to also give people permission to be themselves, which is... Like, you know, I wanted people in my family to be different. Well, why doesn't she or why doesn't he? And I finally just like, okay, that's their choice. You don't have to pick up that bag. And not picking up all the bags for everybody. I mean, I've done that my whole life. Since I was five, picked up everybody's bag. And they're heavy. And when you finally say, okay, I don't have to do that. It's weird, but wonderful. Weird and wonderful. It's a great description of this process. Yeah, it's wild, isn't it? <laughs> I'm still on it, so maybe when I'm 70, I'll have some answers. Yeah, and that's the part that sucks. I said that to my friends and my therapist. I'm like, when the hell is this over? <laughs> and she's like, well, therapy will be over, but you're going to still be doing this. I think it's also part of being a curious person. Like, I just, there's so much I want to know about why. Why did I do that? Why didn't I do this? And that self-discovery is, I think, forever if you're really, really honest and open to that. The curiosity of it. We intentionally put the word tides in the name of the podcast because healing is like that. It's sometimes the tide, it just comes in really strong and knocks you over. And then it'll ebb and you'll have some space and it comes back and you're like, there's that thing again. Now I got to deal with that thing. You guys are young and you're in the journey. And I wish somebody had talked to me when I was your age to say, hey, wait a minute. We just didn't. We were all competing with one another for a variety of things, whether professionally. Now we do it on Facebook. My family's the best. Look at how great we are. Instead of having honest, authentic conversations with one another to say, guess what? You can't have it all. You can't be the world's greatest employee and the world's greatest spouse and the world's greatest mother. So stop it. Sometimes your house is going to look like shit and your kid's hair isn't going to be combed. And it's okay. I just wish we had more of that. So I was super excited that you guys were courageous enough to have these kinds of conversations. It's helpful to hear that. I think I really started my journey at 39 and I felt like I started so late. My daughter was already grown. 
I'm faced with, oh my gosh, I did all these things as a mother in my own woundedness. You know, my son was younger, and so I've had a chance to really cultivate a relationship with him that is more healthy. But I think anytime you begin this, you look back, you say, oh man, if I had known that then. So for me, I felt like I got started late. Oh, you were way ahead of me. So I think that's the most painful thing ever that I think only women can understand is to look at the things that we did in our brokenness that impacted our kids negatively. I've had to face that in therapy. There were a couple of things I did that nobody does those things intentionally. I spent my whole career working in children's health policy and children's hospitals, and I never met a parent that didn't want the best for their kids. Never. Even the really bad ones. It's just sometimes we don't have all the tools or the right space to be better. And it was funny. I would give everybody else grace for that but me. I made some boneheaded choices that impacted her and created trauma for her that I never wanted. And then when I had to actually look at them, it was devastating. It took me forever to get over, and it still makes me cry when I really took the time to look at it. And I thought, no wonder she's pissed. She has a right to be. I'm pissed that I wasn't good enough at that moment. But at the same time, to be able to say, given the situation and the circumstances, I did the best I could. And for her to give me grace for that, that's amazing. I actually think it holds some women back from doing this process, right? The pain of realizing that I was the cause. And really, it was my woundedness that was the cause. It's much easier to look and say, this person did this to me. It's so much harder to say, I did this to them. And to take accountability and responsibility and to give yourself the grace is incredibly difficult. Well, because there's nothing you can do about it. Right. You can't fix it. We never want our children to feel pain, which is bad in and of itself. They have to learn to be resilient. But then when you discover you were the cause of that pain, it is the worst possible thing. But once you face it, once you talk about it with the other person, with your children, you find that they don't see it quite the way you do. Or if they do... There's healing for them in hearing you say you're sorry and say, please know that was never my intention. So the beautiful thing about kids is they love you anyway, and that is healing too. So knowing that, oh man, in my own woundedness, I caused woundedness, right? Which is this generational trauma that you're talking about. That is actually one of the hardest things in this journey as I started my journey at 39. She was 58. Like, And looking back at that point and saying, oh, I did this, I did this. Now wonder my daughter is angry with me. But in that also, in our personal healing, there is also generational healing. Because we talked about how when you take accountability as a mother and say, I am so sorry, that gives your child, your son or daughter, the freedom to let go of that, to let go of whatever they were holding on to, to have open conversations. And it's hard. It is not comfortable, but it's necessary for this generational healing to take place. And just how much grace on both sides comes out of those very powerful conversations. 
I agree 100%. I'm not a mom, but I can say from like an adult child perspective, absolutely. My mom and I, we have had that conversation several times and me being able to express myself and my feelings though, and being able to reflect on childhood things and just like why I show up the way that I do and having the courage to use my voice and say, I'm not blaming you for anything. I need to acknowledge what is, what happened, how it impacted me. And I want you to know that I know as your daughter, you did the best that you knew how to do in my own maturity. And I think lived experiences and wisdom. I can say that and have grace with my mom. And then that kind of also softens like the blow to an extent, because we can acknowledge that there were some things that she didn't have the tools to do better that may have impacted me in a negative way, but I can, as an adult, say it's okay. We can acknowledge it and get past it. Now, how do we heal from it together? And that's just like something that it is a very hard thing to do because it does take you not taking things personally. And really, I think I mentioned this before, I think we all have to start looking at our parents, not just as our parents, but as human beings like us and that they too are flawed and make mistakes. And that when we take them out of that lens of parent, they can do wrong. Because I think when you look at them as just your parents, they can do no wrong. And then that's why we're so hurt. But because we acknowledge that they can do wrong, we can have grace and mercy and be like, okay, how do we heal from this together? It's so powerful. It is. It's powerful to have the conversation of, from both sides of the relationship, the healing can begin and be impactful. So you're talking as a daughter approaching your mother in a way that facilitates her healing. And Vicki and I are talking about as a mother taking accountability and how healing can happen in that direction. This healing journey is just that. It is so impactful in both directions generationally. And we just have to have understanding and we have to have empathy and compassion, I think, first and foremost, because some real hard truths are going to come out and being delicate and saying it gently. We can be hurt by something, but delivery matters. I'm a person that, oh my God, delivery absolutely matters. How you say something. It's not always what you say, but like how you say it can really give you a different response. And so I think I try to be really intentional about that when I'm dealing with my mom and other adults with that. And even just people in general, because I know that I understand myself <laughs> and I can be assertive and brash sometimes. And like I can, I think as a double water sign could be emotional. And so we have to pay attention to like what we're trying to heal too, like how we say things and how we handle things. We need to do it with care so that we can get the result that we're looking for so that both parties or all parties can really truly be a part of that healing experience, I think. Absolutely. So to piggyback on that, I think not only giving being conscious of the way that we speak to our family members, but how we show up in society with other women. So one of the things that Vicki and I talked about was a lot of society pressures or how women show up is in this competitive, we're hard on each other. We're hard on moms. We're hard on each other. Instead of acknowledging that we are all doing our best and that we make mistakes. If it's okay, I really wanted to also say that I think there are so many women in the professional world who are trying so hard, because I, I do think we have to try twice as hard, and 
you know, if you're a woman of color, you have to try 10 times as hard. And I think that also is something we need to take a minute to be honest about with each other and also take some time to heal from because there's so many well-meaning people who think there isn't a challenge anymore to be a woman in the professional world. But there is because we physically have to birth the babies. So that impacts our careers and how we feel and how we think. And and I just think we also need to give women an opportunity to share those experiences without judgment. And whether you have chosen to work at home and and be in the household with your kids, that too is an incredible sacrifice and job. And so I just think we judge women so much more harshly than we do others that I just think that as women, I think we should take a pledge to stop criticizing each other. Look, I did it. Who does she think she is? Okay, you stay home. You're so much better than me. We just got to stop criticizing each other. I agree. And I, I think in the workforce and careers, often we feel as if we're in competition with other women because there's only, quote unquote, so many slots available. And instead, let's create more spots, right? Let's build each other up and support one another. It's already hard enough. And I think men do that really well. It's the system, really. If you talk to a man and you say, hey, I got a job open. Do you know somebody? They got a guy, right? They've always got a guy. They got a list of guys that they're working with and sponsoring. By that, I mean they're going to put their name out there for you. Women tend to be comfortable being mentors. Well, let me tell you about my career, and we'll talk about your career. But we're not as skilled at being sponsors, putting our necks on the line for somebody else. We don't think it's polite. It's not how we're socialized. It might seem too aggressive. And so I'm really talking to a lot of young women today about skip the mentors. Go right for the sponsor. Find women who are willing to promote you in the sense of talk about you when you're not in the room. Talk about your skills and abilities. Make connections for you. And I think that's a lesson we can learn and do more of. We're happy to sit and talk to one another, but are you willing to do something for somebody? And that, to me, is where I think we really need to step it up a little bit. There's plenty of success for everybody. Don't worry about hers. Go get yours and help others. So Vicki actually talked about how we can support one another in a similar way in our careers. She talked about how men are really good at promoting other men. And she talked about the difference between, as women, being a mentor and being a sponsor. It's what we do so well in the business world, but we're afraid to use it. Women are natural networkers. We're just not good at using our networks. And so I do a lot of talks on creating networks that give because that we are comfortable with that. And so I really think, you know, that's a piece that I hope younger women are, are seeing. That ability translates into leadership and professional success in ways that I just don't think our male counterparts understand. We don't ever say, you know, what we like about ourselves or each other. And I think part of it is the way we're socialized. I work with a lot of young women on their resumes. And I'll say to them, give me an example of something you've done really well that you're really proud of. And almost to a T, they will stammer and stutter and they've never thought about it. What am I proud of? What have I ever done that I'm proud of? It's just not the way I think we socialize girls. And when a girl does say, I'm the best at, we look at her like, why are you bragging? 
So I think it's in all of us a bit. But I think when you start to heal that emotional journey, I think the curtain comes down. Instead of that voice in your head that's like, why did you do that? Why did you say that? How could you be so stupid? I had a tape in my head that would put a big man to tears in about two seconds. And I had to learn to change that tape. And for me, it was a physical action. Like I had to write out my intentions on a card and say, I am worthy of love and respect. I'm smart. I'm talented. I can do this. And I would say it in my car on my way to work or to a client. or, And it was the weirdest, oddest thing ever. But it's incredibly healing. And it also is changing that path. I'm a really big believer in brain science. And when you change that pathway in your brain so that your default isn't to beat the shit out of yourself, it is incredibly powerful. And so now when I go into a meeting, it's I'm the smartest, best version of myself I can possibly be. And I'm giving that to other people. And so you're getting that back. I wish I had known this when I was your age or my daughter's age. I wish I had known that all along I had the power to change that tape. But I want you to know that you can change that tape. That's within you to do that. You don't need to go to a class. You don't need to get a Peloton. You know, you, you can do this for yourself. And it's awkward and weird, but it works. I love that Vicky said that because I like to do that. We have to support each other. We have to have representation because representation matters. Also, that whole being your authentic self in places like that, especially the workplace, in predominantly male spaces, it helps them get comfortable with other women coming through the door. So, like, when there are women who are just, like, people-pleasing, doing everything and trying to be like the men, then their expectation for other women who come through the door is going to be, oh, okay, every woman's going to be like that. And no, we're not. <laughs> so, I mean, like, I, for me personally, I am a woman who, like, uplifts other women. I love it because we need to do that. We have to do that. And I will be my authentic self and have people get comfortable with that so that when I bring people through the door, they can be their authentic selves as well and not have to perform and not have to conform. And it's just so necessary in order to like really level the playing field. This is a theme that keeps coming up is the idea that as our personal healing journey is in critical to healing our families, to healing other moms, to healing the workplace, it is often viewed as something I'll do later or selfish or not necessary. The truth is by taking the time and doing the work of self-healing, you actually create safer spaces for everyone that you touch. You know what? It's so refreshing too. I think that if you're a negative person, that is contagious. You will go to work and you will be negative and you will bring other people into that negativity. Same thing if you're positive, you can do the same with positivity. And it's so refreshing, though, when people are truly being authentic. I had a conversation with a guy via work last week and we actually have been having multiple conversations and we get to connect on so many levels we got connected professionally but because he's his authentic self and I am my authentic self we are able to have conversations about our faith 
And then we go off on these tangents. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. Well, I know we were here for work, but I really enjoyed this conversation. And he's just like, I am, too. Like, I really appreciate it. And so that authenticity, man, it takes a lot of courage to be that because you first have to find it, I think. You do have to find it, which is why this conversation is so important because taking the time to understand yourself, become self-aware, really understand who you are and how you show up and what your gifts and talents are, then that's when you can be authentic. Because you spent the time and done the work to figure out who you are. And now you can articulate that. There's a lot of people because they never get that opportunity or the time because we're constantly going and all of this and in this and that overstimulated. We never get that opportunity to truly figure out who our authentic self is. As I'm talking, I'm just now realizing that really. And so that's kind of like when we talk about this, I think in order to be authentic, you have to like really like understand yourself to even know what it means to be authentic. Right. Like for women, for men, for anybody. So that's why it's just like the self is so important. It's not selfish at all. It's not selfish to try to understand yourself before trying to understand other things, because your understanding of other things is based off of your understanding of yourself. And if you don't have an understanding of yourself, then you're really out here dazed and confused. (laughs) And nobody wants to be that because it gets hard to keep that up. Because then you're just like, I'm out here living life aimlessly. Can I just say that when I was younger in high school, I used to say to myself, oh, yeah, by 25, I want to be married and with child and I want to have this career. And 21 came and I was like, absolutely not. I'm not doing any of that in my 20s. I'm not ready for it. Like, what was I thinking? I thought I had it all figured out. Like, absolutely not. We don't really know the things that we like believe And the way that we plan our lives is so off like track (laughs) that when we actually get to it and have lived experiences, we can begin to give ourselves more grace then too. Like, oh no, I had it all wrong. Actually, I'm going to trust the process of life and go on this journey wherever it's taking me because I understand 100% what Vicky is saying. It is a very powerful statement to like tell yourself it's never too late. It's never too late because we see it all the time. Like there's a person in my professional world who just got his law degree at 58. Like that's amazing. It's never too late. Really isn't. Like so for me, Kiana, in this moment, it's not too late if 35 comes or 36 or 38 comes for me to have a child. That is something that we have to overcome. It's setting these expectations that I'm supposed to be a certain way. And often those supposed to be a certain way is based on a societal expectation of how we're supposed to show up. When the truth is we just show up the way we are. The idea that you can't get a law degree at 58 is based on a societal expectation that you're supposed to know who you want to be and what you're going to do for your career at 22. That's not real life. No, it's probably more accurate at 58 (laughs) because you have some lived experiences. So that makes a lot of sense. Exactly. (laughs) We're debunking these myths, okay? (laughs) I spent my whole work life worried about what everybody thought of me and afraid. They call it the imposter syndrome now, but afraid that somebody would figure out I didn't know everything. What if they thought I wasn't enough? And if I really knew what they thought about me, they thought I was great because I was. And that's a weird thing to admit. I'm smart. Wow. I never would have said that about myself. Take the time to inventory the talents and abilities that you have. I had a boss one time who told me, he said, you spend so much time 
trying to improve your weaknesses that you never develop your strengths. He goes, you got way more of those than you do weaknesses. He goes, why do you do that? And it's because I was afraid. And so the last six years I've spent trying to work on my strengths. It's amazing what success will do to what other people think of you. So if you begin to show that confidence and demonstrate that expertise that we all have in something, it's amazing how that tide turns. So I think that's a big lesson. Just quit worrying about your weaknesses. Develop your strengths. Everybody's got weaknesses. I talk too much. I think out loud. Own them. I tell people that. I'm not asking you to do anything. I'm just thinking out loud. But then really develop those strengths. Be courageous enough to do that. So she left advice, a couple of things. I write down three things every year that I want to do that I've never done before. And it's something I started six or seven years ago. And it's amazing what you can learn if you just are willing to risk. And do I look stupid sometimes? A lot. Like I wanted to learn to dance. I have no rhythm whatsoever. (laughs) But I had a blast. I still can't dance very well, but I'm passable at the wedding reception. I took your storytelling class, which for somebody who speaks a lot on a variety of topics, was terrifying to talk about yourself and put yourself out there that way. And hugely rewarding, hugely rewarding. So I took a cooking class. I suck at that and everything tasted bad, but I still took it and it was fun. So just risk, I think, is it. Don't be afraid to look stupid sometimes. It's okay. It really is. I think the last thing would be never let go of your girlfriends. I think we as women tend to put a lot, not all women, but a lot of women tend to put other people first in our lives, particularly if we're raising kids. A couple of really great girlfriends will save your mind and your life. And I've got two incredible girlfriends. I've had them for 25 years, and I tell my daughter all the time, friendships are two-way streets, and you got to work at it, and uh, be friends with people who also work at it, and I, I think that has served me really well. It's never too late. There were times in my life where I thought my life was over, or you get 60 and I, it's too late. It's never too late to do anything. I'm taking a painting class. I may be the next Grandma Moses. You know, who knows? But it's never too late to do the hard work or to start something new. I've had kind of three different careers, really, if I look at it, and I think I still got one more in me. So I'm not sure what it's going to be, but I never would have done that if I hadn't done this hard work to really think about what do I really want? Oh, my gosh, who am I really? So don't be afraid to ask yourself the tough question, and don't be afraid to give yourself a hug when you need it, and surround yourself with the kind of people you want to be like. I've always surrounded myself with people who were smarter than me or better than me at something. And that is a incredible gift. And then I think the last thing is treat yourself the way you treat the person you love the most in the world or respect the most in the world. Because we don't do that. And somebody told me that one time. I was beating the shit out of myself in front of somebody or thought I was hiding it and I wasn't. And she just turned around, looked at me, and she goes, would you do that to somebody that you really, really respected? And I said, no. And she goes, then why don't you do it to yourself? And I thought, wow, I don't know. Having that moment is really powerful to be able to say, I got to stop that. To treat yourself the way that you treat the person you most love in the world. 
give yourself what you give to others. And I think that's amazing advice. You know, whether that's grace, kind words, forgiveness, whatever it is, we, ugh, and as women, we do this so much. We give to everyone else and we give to ourselves what's left. When you flip that around, life is fuller. So much more fuller. Honestly, if we just look around at the women who have come before us, we can learn a lot from their journeys. And I think that I'm so grateful that I am that way. I will look at my mom. I will look at other women in society. I will look at just like even popular culture, right? And I'll be like, mm-mm, not for me. I need to learn from their mistakes and their successes and figure out how to not go down that path because like, I don't want that for my life. That amount of sacrifice for other people and not giving that back to myself, I don't want that. And so like I can now learn from other women and say, okay, she did this, she did that, this was the impact. Now how do I want my life to look and how might I be able to use some of her lessons and like apply that in my life? And so yes, 100%. That's one of the things I really loved about talking with Vicky is she really has this desire to share what she has learned as someone who is going to say, look, don't do this or do this. And I have had lived experience that I can share with you. And I think all of us have the opportunity to do that. I mean, I'm 45. I'm being vocal about the mistakes I've made in my life and the things that have worked in my life, hopefully so that women younger than me, right? And as, as 33, same thing. I think that it's so critical that we pass on the tools, the tips, the advice. In previous generations, before we lived in suburbs, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, women spent most of their lives with other women. We raised babies, picking berries, around the fire. Like Our girlfriends, our tribe of women is so critical and important because we're biologically made up to learn from the elders, to spend time with the aunties. That's the way we're made up. This idea that as women, as a mothers, we're supposed to do this stuff on our own just isn't realistic. Mm-mm. We're supposed to be a community. Like, we cannot survive alone. We cannot exist alone. We're supposed to have that connection. And it's so unfortunate that there's so many things in the world that really does try to break those humanistic connections in that community and isolate us. And it's just like, no that's not healthy for us. It's not healthy at all. And like you said, to your point, like women need other women, men need other men. Everybody's walking around like their situation is exclusive to them. And it's just like, no, it's not at all. Like we literally all go through it at some point in our life, maybe not at the same time, but we can resonate and we can find connection in the resonation of the good times, the bad times or whatever the case may be a lot of times missing that community, which is why I'm so pumped about our podcast because we're hoping to rebuild community among women. I just want to say thank you again for doing this. You just aren't going to know, like how many times have you listened to a podcast? It just is the answer to your prayer or request in this world, however you characterize that. So you just never know. And so I just wanted to tell you guys, thank you for doing that. I just don't think you realize how powerful this might be. I appreciate that. I really do. 
the silence behind mental wellness, mental well-being, mental health causes mental illness. And it is in the light of conversation and connection that healing happens. So many of us suffer in silence. And so when we talk about our experiences, about where we've been, about where we're going, about the hope, it opens so many doors. And I think our kids are really suffering. I think we have an explosion of mental health issues in our kids. And I think the pandemic's made it worse. But we've got to show our kids how to be more resilient and that it's okay to talk about anxiety and worries. And we have to show them through our own process. Because otherwise, we're going to have a generation of minds and fabulousness that is wasted because they are dealing with significant mental illness because we didn't take the time to work with them early on. So it's, it's a great gift. And we have to heal before we can work with them. This process that we are doing for ourselves is actually for the next generation. It's for the world. It's not selfish at all. It is necessary. It's funny. When I was a kid, nobody ever talked about mental illness unless somebody was crazy. But now, you know, I can talk to my grandson about his anxiety. He gets nervous when he's in new situations. He's doing deep breathing. That's cool when we're teaching seven-year-olds that. And he's an amazing kid who's going to achieve a ton because he's learning how to deal with his own anxiety. Together, as we learn, we're saving kids like that a lifetime of pain. The idea that we have to be on every single day in the midst of a global pandemic with all these stressful things is just not realistic. And so to just take two hours one morning and slow down is important. Self-care is so critical. And we've spent a generation being proud of the fact that we never miss a day of work or we never take our vacation. When I left my job in the hospital world, I had two years worth of vacation and sick days. Now, I had had cancer twice in that 24-year period of time, and I still had two years worth of vacation and sick time. That's not a badge of honor. That is a crisis of mental health. We have to, as employers and as people, stop valuing that and start to value self-care and giving people permission to take a minute for themselves. That's why... America is in the challenge that we're in today, but I think we're going to get through it. I think we're doing a lot to teach kids, and I think it's critical. And maybe the pandemic is teaching us a little bit of that. Wow, what a powerful conversation. Vicki, thank you so much for joining us. Hannah, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for listening. We hope that you felt supported, got some tips, learned a little something. This is Tears, Tides, and Transformation, a podcast about healing. Thank you for joining us. I see new life. I see new tides. Carry on through the years. Transform. of you going through it all the audacity of you trying
trusting self all along. I see.